Section 24 of The Science History of the Universe, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne. The Science History of the Universe, Volume 3, edited by Francis Rolt Wheeler. Electricity, Chapter 6, History of Electric Lighting, Part 2. Edison's first filaments were made of carbonized thread or paper. It is obvious that such filaments could not be made with any great uniformity. A great many experiments were made and are still being made to determine the best method of making them. They are all, however, made by what is called the squirting process, of which an outline follows. Pure cellulose, as cotton wool or blotting paper, is dissolved in a concentrated solution of zinc chloride until a jelly-like mass is obtained. Great care is required to obtain pure materials, and the various processes must be closely watched. This mass is filtered by forcing it through a suitable filter such as glass wool, fine wire gauze, or flannel. It is then heated under a vacuum to free the viscous material from air carried into it by the cotton wool or cellulose. It is then squirted under fairly high pressure through a fine orifice, which just dips below the surface of acidified alcohol contained in a tall glass jar. The alcohol hardens the cellulose, which forms a fine thread of a diameter depending on the size of the orifice. By revolving the jar, the thread is coiled in it. When hard, it is removed and washed and wound on drums to dry. When dry, it has the appearance of catgut. It is then given the desired shape by being wound on molds and baked. Bundles of filaments are then packed in carbon powder, in plumbago crucibles, which are raised to as high a temperature as possible. The carbonized filaments are gauged for diameter and the legs cut to the required length, after which they are ready for mounting on the leading-in wires. There are two methods for doing this. In one, the ends are laid against the leading-in wires and a drop of paste composed of graphite mixed with a binding material is applied, the paste being afterwards dried in an oven, the other by heating the joint red-hot in an atmosphere of benzene, the benzene having decomposed and carbon deposited. The filament is then flashed in order to make it more uniform and increase its life. Flashing is accomplished by placing the filament under a bell jar filled with hydrocarbon vapor and raising it to incandescence by the passage of a current, whereupon the vapor is decomposed and a firm, compact coating of carbon is deposited upon it. The greatest deposit takes place where the filament is thinnest, as the current causes it to heat most in that part. Flashing, therefore, smooths out the irregularities of the filament. The filaments are next sealed into bulbs and the bulb exhausted. In the early days, Sprengel mercury pumps were used, but these were very slow, although very perfect. Nowadays, a little phosphorus dissolved in alcohol is introduced into the stem, which is then connected to a mechanical air pump having oil-sealed valves and exhausted as far as possible. The stem is then sealed for a short distance below the bulb and the phosphorus vaporized by a little heat into the bulb where it combines with the remaining oxygen and completes the exhaustion. The lamp is then properly sealed off. The first patents covering the principles of the Nernst lamp were taken out by Professor W. Nernst in 1897 and 1898. In its first form, it was very crude, serving mainly to show the fact that the filaments could be produced, and that their efficiency was about twice that of the ordinary carbon filament. 
This was the first incandescent lamp to threaten the life of the Edison carbon filament lamp. Much was promised for it at first, and its development was vigorously taken up in this country, England, and Germany. Although the lamps are still manufactured, very few are in use, and it is probable that the manufacture of them will soon cease entirely. The recent introduction of the tungsten lamp has made its existence unnecessary, as it is suppressed by the tungsten lamp in efficiency, life, and first cost. It contains, however, a very interesting principle, viz., the employment of an electrolytic conductor as the incandescent body. The conductor, or glower, as it is called, is practically non-conducting at ordinary temperatures and requires to be heated before it will allow the passage of current through it. This fact is probably the principal cause of its failure commercially, as the heating apparatus is quite complicated, of uncertain life, and the time consumed in lighting, sometimes half a minute, is in many cases objectionable. This is the only electric lamp that can be started with a match and blown out. The glower of the American form of Nernst lamp is said to consist of the oxides of several rare metals, such as yttrium, ytterbium, thorium, etc., although the true composition is known only to a few. The glowers are in the form of a short, thick filament, cemented to flexible platinum terminals by which it is suspended below and close to heating coils, consisting of porcelain tubes in which are embedded resistance wires. These resistance coils are, of course, necessary to bring the glower up to the temperature at which it begins to conduct. The heating resistance is connected in shunt with the glower, which has in its immediate circuit an electromagnetic switch for opening the heater circuit. When the glower becomes sufficiently heated to conduct, the current in this portion of the circuit operates the electromagnetic switch and automatically cuts out the heating coils. As the glower conducts electrolytically rather than as a solid, up to the present it has given a much shorter life when used on direct or low-frequency alternating current circuits than with higher frequencies. Although up to the present time these lamps cannot be called a commercial success, recent developments and improvements in constructional details have made the efficiency of the lamp equal to that of tungsten. If a method of producing a lamp free from the complicating starting apparatus which now prevails is discovered, these lamps may be heard from again. These lamps have followed one another in such rapid succession that some of them, although full of promise, have never been long in the commercial field, having been succeeded by others still better. Incandescent electric lamps with metallic filaments are older than carbon filament lamps. As long ago as 1840, lamps were constructed with filaments of platinum, and for 30 years after that date, various attempts were made to construct a practical lamp using either platinum or iridium wires for the filaments, the only two metals at all suitable, which were obtainable at the time. None of these attempts met with any commercial success, and the use of metals was finally abandoned in favor of carbon by the experimenters who developed the carbon filament lamp in 1878-1880. The success attained with carbon caused all consideration of metallic filaments to be put on one side for nearly 20 years. The introduction of the Nernst lamp appears to have then stimulated research afresh, and many investigators turned their attention to the metals to find the field greatly widened by the chemical progress which had been made in the meantime. Instead of only two possible metals to work with, there were now numbers known with sufficiently high melting points to suggest great possibilities. After much painstaking effort and laborious work carried out by inventors who deserve the highest possible praise for both their ingenuity and their perseverance, three commercial metallic filament lamps have been evolved, 
which have entirely altered the outlook for the future of the electric lighting industry. It is possible, suggests Maurice Solomon in his Electric Lamps, that these may prove to be only the forerunners of further improvements. Rumors of fresh developments are of almost weekly occurrence, and it is difficult to say at the moment what is likely to be the course of events during the next few years. Up to the present, none of the rumored improvements have given any evidence of being advanced beyond the laboratory stage, and many do not appear even to have reached that stage, though some have been proved commercial, namely the osmium, tetalum, and tungsten, wolfram or orsum lamps. The osmium lamp is the invention of Dr. Auer von Welsbach, and the earliest patents relating to it were taken out in 1898. The earlier reports in reference to the osmium lamps appeared in the technical press in 1901, but the lamp does not appear to have been manufactured commercially until 1903, and it was not until 1905 that it was introduced into this country by the General Electric Company. The method of manufacture may be gleaned from the patents and from a paper read by Dr. Fritz Blau before the Elektrotechnische Verein in 1905. The process first tried was that of flashing platinum wire in an atmosphere of osmium tetroxide, which is volatile. By subsequently incandescing the alloy in vacuo, the platinum can be evaporated off, but it was not found possible to produce sufficiently thin filaments in this way. Finally, the method adopted was that of pressing finely divided osmium mixed with an organic binding agent through small diamond or sapphire dyes. The thread thus formed is carbonized and the carbon is then driven off by encasing the filament in an atmosphere of steam and hydrogen. The filaments have to be raised to a very high temperature in order to sinter together the osmium particles into a practically homogeneous filament. Sintering may be described as a sort of modified welding process. The metal does not fuse, but the particles raised almost to their melting point bake together and bind very firmly. As a matter of fact, exactly the same phenomenon occurs with carbon filaments, which after the first stages of baking are highly porous, but become dense and homogeneous on further raising their temperature. The osmium filaments are mounted in bulbs in the same way as carbon filaments, the mount being made by fixing together by means of an arc at the end of the osmium filament and the leading in wire. The osmium lamp has been described on account of its interesting position as the first of the new metallic filament lamps. The lamp must be regarded at present as already obsolete, having given place to the tungsten lamp, the filament of which is similar in character to the osmium filament, but in many respects superior. The earliest patents in relation to the tantalin lamp were taken down by Messrs. Seaman and Halsk in 1901 and 1902, but the lamp was not introduced commercially until 1905. During 1906 and 1907, the lamp has steadily grown in popularity, and the number now in use is very large. The tantalum lamp can certainly claim to be the first metallic filament lamp which proved to the full its suitability by the development of its formidable rival, the tungsten lamp, and it will continue to be remembered as the first lamp to afford solid ground for the hope of a marked advance in electric incandescent lighting. The filament of the tantalum lamp is made from pure drawn tantalum wire, and one of the chief difficulties in its manufacture is the preparation of the pure tantalum in a form suitable for drawing. Tantalum metal is obtained in a powdery form by reducing potassium tantalofluoride. The powder is then fused electrically in vacuo, the process serving not only to produce the metal in a coherent form, but also to drive off the occluded gases. 
the fuse ingot is drawn into wire, the precise method by which this is done not being published. But the process must be one of considerable difficulty in view of the extreme hardness of the metal, which is, however, ductile, and the tantalum wires are quite flexible. The metal oxidizes readily, and when heated burns away completely to oxide. The filament must therefore be mounted in an exhausted bulb, and the difficulty of disposing of the necessary length in the bulb has been overcome in an ingenious manner, rendered possible by the flexibility of the wire, by winding it on a frame as shown in figure 29. In this figure, for the sake of greater clearness, only the front half of the frame and filament is shown. This frame is mounted in a bulb in the usual manner. The other details of the lamp call for no special mention. Probably apart from the difficulty in making the original tantalum wire, the lamp is one of the easiest of the metallic filament lamps to manufacture, which leads to the hope that it may be greatly reduced in price when competition renders this necessary. The earliest patents relating to production of filaments of tungsten appear in 1904. The most important of these are taken out by Just and Hanneman, Kutzel and Velsbach. In 1905 and 1906, many other patentees covered processes for manufacturing these filaments, but it must be remembered that by this time, the possibilities of the metallic filament lamp were becoming well recognized, and many who patented methods and processes probably did so only in the hope that their ideas might someday prove fruitful. The credit for the development of a commercial lamp rests with the inventors already named, and lamps are now manufactured by all three of the processes which they devised. It is too early to say which of these is likely to survive. Possibly some modification, combining the advantages of all, will prove ultimately the most efficient and reliable manufacturing process. The tungsten lamp appears to have a brilliant future before it. While its present form lacks some of the advantages of the tantalum lamp, the fact that the consumption of power per candle is only about half that with tantalum will cover a great many defects. Unless a new metal filament is brought forward with an efficiency markedly superior, it is difficult to see what competitor now in the field can stand long against the tungsten filament. The commercial development of the tungsten lamp has been conducted with marvelous rapidity. Everywhere they are rapidly displacing carbon filament lamps. Their fragility, however, restricts their use to places where they are not subjected to mechanical vibration, although by ingenious methods of mounting this defect is fast being overcome. The idea of producing light from incandescent vapors has always been an attractive one. Theoretically, it is possible to obtain a far more efficient light from these vapors than from incandescent solids, because the emanations are more nearly of the same frequency than those from solids. Discharges in vacuum tubes have been tried for many years, and there was developed a form of tubes known as Geissler tubes, in which the most beautiful effects were produced by discharges through rarefied gases, but their brightness was never sufficient for practical lighting. About ten years ago, Peter Cooper Hewitt, making use of the fact that a column of mercury vapor is a good conductor, succeeded in constructing a mercury vapor lamp of great power and efficiency. This lamp consists of a long glass tube having two electrodes, the negative of which is mercury. The arc is formed between these electrodes and completely fills the tube. This is, therefore, a true arc lamp. The lamp must be burned in an inclined position, the mercury being in constant circulation. It is vaporized at the lower end, condensed at the upper, and runs back to the lower again. One feature, which for general lighting is objectionable, is the color distortion produced by this light. Since there are no red rays in it, red bodies appear black, 
and all objects have a greenish-blue appearance. For purposes of photography, for drafting rooms, etc., it is, however, admirable, being rich in the upper rays of the spectrum. Following out the idea of producing light from discharges in a vacuum, McFarlane Moore has succeeded in producing a lamp which is extremely ingenious. The chief advantage claimed is the improved distribution of the light, the light being nowhere intense. The tubes may be made a hundred or two feet long and may be fitted to suit the shape of the room. The discharge is effected by means of a high-voltage transformer. The tube gives off a pleasing light of a pink color. End of chapter 6